0: Alhamdulillah, in Ahmadu, who was the Ainu, who was min Fero. When I would be lahim in Shuru and Sinah, who means say at the Amalina, may at the Hilla, who feller, who feller, who mean you the little feller, had the other. What should allah ala? Abduhu or a soul? ta'ala, alihi wa'ala, alihi wasahbi. وبرك وسلّم تسليما كثيرا, كثيرا. أما بعد فعوض بالله من الشيطان الرجيم. بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم. إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما. اللهم صل على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد. Allahumma barik ala Muhammadin wa ala Ali Muhammad kama barakta ala Ibrahim wa ala Ali in innaka Khamid majid. As promised, inshallah, I'll share a few thoughts about Imam al-Khari alhamdulillahi alayhi today. It's well known to Muslims across the world, from the Ahl-Sunnah al-Jama'ah, that the ulama regard the famous collection of hadith known as Sahih al-Bukhari as the most authentic book after the Holy Qur'an. The two most famous books are the Sahih of Imam Bukhari and the Sahih of Imam Muslim. Rahmatullahi now, of the two, Muslim and Bukhari, the book of Imam Bukhari is considered superior by almost all of the ulama of the ahlus Sunnah wal Jama'ah and they widely and regularly use the phrase, and not just today, but this has been the case for centuries, that this is the most authentic book after the book of Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta-A'la. So how did this book, this particular collection of hadith, even though there were so many during that period, how did this particular work attain such a privileged status? amongst Muslims, and in fact, amongst Muslim scholarship. Part of it is to do with the purpose and the focus of Imam Mukhari rahmatullahi alayhi's book. And a great part is to do with his own knowledge, scholarship, and expertise. Imam Bukhari is famous for one particular reason, which is that he is the first who sought to compile a collection of hadith with stringent conditions, with a view to separating the most reliable and authentic hadith from others. This doesn't mean that he excluded inauthentic hadith so what's to be found in the Sahih of Bukhari is authentic and what's not to be found is considered inauthentic by Imam Bukhari in fact he himself says I have left out more authentic hadith than I have actually included in the book but the book in his view is the cream of the crop the creme de la creme of hadith. So of all the collection, uh, of the entire collection of hadith that was at his disposal, he chose only the top layer. And he deposited that in his book, uh, Sahih al-Bukhari, whose full name is actually, he, as he named it, not Sahih, but he called it Al-Jami' al-Musnad, Al-Sahih al من أمور رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم والسننه و which means the compendium which is الجامع, the compendium Al-Musnad, which is linked and chained i.e. all the way to رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم الصحيح, the authentic, reliable المختصر, the abridged from the affairs of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi and his sunan, meaning his sunnets and his history, his days, meaning his history. That is the full name of Sahih al-Bukhari. Now, Imam Bukhari, although he selected only a certain number of hadith, they still number well over 2,000. And these are them without repetition. Otherwise, there are lots of repetitions in his book. And even without the repetition, there is a huge number, well over 2,000. Now, this and other reasons have led the scholarship of Islam to regard the work of Imam Mughari, to be the greatest book in Islam after the holy Quran. Not because these are the words of Imam Bukhari, but rather these are the reliable, authentic, verified words, the most authentic verified words of the Noble Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Now who was Imam Bukhari Rahmutullah and how did Allah equip him, enable him to achieve this task even though he came later and during his own time there were already collections of hadith including many by his own teachers and yet his work surpassed all of them and as I said one of the main reasons is that he chose whereas the other scholars before him as well as his contemporaries they sought to collect as many narrations and traditions from Rasulullah wasallam as possible with links, with chains of narration stretching back to the Messenger of Allah. But none of them on this scale sought to include only the most authentic, verified and reliable hadith in their collections. His is the first work that sought to do so. And it truly was a magnificent achievement. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chose Imam Bukhari, he really did. He himself relates that I saw a dream in which I was before the noble messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, with a hand fan. And I was fanning the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, in this manner. So he went to a scholar who interpreted dreams. Can you imagine? Imam Bukhari being who he was, he didn't interpret the dream himself. Bukhari being who he was, he didn't interpret the dream. He went to a scholar who was an expert in the interpretation of dreams. And he requested the interpretation of this dream that I saw myself before the noble messenger, sallallahu wasallam, swaying the fan before him. What does this mean? So the scholar told him that you will fan away and remove the inauthentic sunnah from the authentic sunnah. And someone else saw a dream in which Imam Bukhari, rahmatullahi, was seen. The Prophet sallallahu was walking, and Imam Bukhari rahmatullahi was following immediately behind him in his footsteps, and literally in his footsteps. So wherever the noble messenger sallallahu placed his noble foot and then lifted it, Imam Bukhari in that dream was placing his foot exactly on the footsteps of the Prophet sallallahu and he continued to do so. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala equipped and Allah had blessed him with many qualities. This is why even during his time, which was in the Abbas, at the peak of the Abbasid <coughs> empire, Imam al he was born in 194 Hijri, in the month of Shawwal. And just a year before, Harun al-Rashid, the famous Abbasid emperor, who is the main character in the legends of a thousand and one nights and his his empire was famous Baghdad was famous Baghdad was at its peak then there were two jewels of the world at that time one in the east one in the west the one in the east was Baghdad and the one in the east was Cordoba. both occupied and developed and inhabited by Muslims so Baghdad was a jewel of the East, and it was at its peak at the time that Imam Mukherjee was born, because just a year before, Harun al-Rashid had passed away, and his son had inherited and, well, succeeded him. So Imam Mukherjee was born in Bukhara, which is in modern-day Uzbekistan, and he was born in Shawwal after Salatul Jum'ah. And we may say, well, how is that, how do we know? Someone asked Imam Bukhari, when were you born? So he took out his father's writing and he said, look, when I was born, my father recorded my birth. And in writing, it was written, in Shawwal after the, after the Salah of Jumu'ah. So Imam Bukhari was born then. So during that period, scholarship was... Widespread, and there were famous scholars of Arabic, of philosophy, of logic, of Quran, of Hadith. And yet, in that period, heaving with scholarship, Imam Bukhari rose to the top. That attests to his genius. He wasn't just one, as we say. The one-eyed man is king in the land of the blind. That wasn't the case with Imam Bukhari Wherever one searched, there were there was scholarship and there were scholars and there was learning in all branches of secular learning, religious learning, and yet in that period, amongst a galaxy of scholars, Imam Bukhari Rahmitullah, that shows his ability and the gifts that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had endowed him with. And I'll say more about that. Imam Bukhari rahmatullahi his father, was in fact a scholar himself. His name was Ismail ibn Ibrahim. Abu al-Hassan Ismail ibn Ibrahim ibn al And he was a student of Imam Malik ibn Anas in Medina. He was, he was actually a student of Imam Malik ibn Anas. He had heard hadith from Imam Malik. He had also seen the great scholars Hammad ibn Zayd, Abdullah ibn Mubarak and various others. So he was a scholar himself. He left a lot of wealth and when he died someone, one of the scholars visited him and when he was on his deathbed he actually said to this visiting scholar that all my wealth which I have left for my family There is not a single dirham therein which is of a doubtful source. Forget haram, not a single dirham which is of a doubtful source. The purity of and the piety of his father trickled down to the son, and the same would go for his mother. His mother was a worshiping, pious mother, the wife of a scholar, and Imam Bukhari. He wasn't born blind. But in his infancy, he, he did become blind. The mother would weep and pray to Allah, beseeching him, supplicating to him But Imam Bukhari, rahmatullahi, remained blind. But then she continued to weep, beseech Allah, pray to him, supplicate. Eventually she saw a dream in which she saw the Prophet Ibrahim alayhi salam. And Sayyidina Ibrahim salam, said to her, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has restored the sight of your son through your weeping and your prayers. And indeed, when she awoke, Bukhari rahmatullahi, even as an infant, he was able to see again. And with such eagle-eye vision, he he, he became blind in infancy. His eyesight was restored. Yet, when he grew up, he also used to practice archery. And his students say that one of his students who stayed with him for a great part of his life. He said, in all the time that I spent with him, I never ever saw him miss the mark or the target when shooting arrows except twice in his whole life. So that's the vision he had. So Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala restored his sight through the prayer and the supplication of his mother. Imam Bukhari was still an infant when his father Abu hassan Ismail ibn Ibrahim passed away. And then he grew up as a yatim, as an orphan, under the care of his mother and his brother. His bro- he had a brother whose name was Ahmed. Unfortunately, this brother Ahmed didn't survive. He accompanied Imam Bukhari. So there were two sons, Muhammad and Ahmed. Imam Bukhari, he accompanied Imam Bukhari and his mother to Hajj when Imam Bukhari was 16 years old. And then Imam Bukhari stayed in Mecca, and his brother Ahmed returned with their mother to Bukhara, and unfortunately, he fell ill and he passed away there whilst Imam Bukhari was still in Mecca. So, there were two brothers, Ahmed and Muhammad, and their mother. He grew up as a precocious child, extremely intelligent, very gifted, and then at the age of 10, he was already inspired to not just learn and read, but actually memorise hadith. So someone asked him that, when were you first inspired to memorise hadith? Oh, so he didn't say, he said, when was the beginning of your affair? So he said, I was inspired to hadith when I was 10 years old, only 10. And he relates a story of when he was 11. So he says there was a scholar called Imam Dakhiri, rahmatullahi he was actually a teacher of hadith. And not just a scholar of kuttab or maktab, but a scholar of hadith. So Imam Bukhari went to maktab. He says, I studied in the kuttab. In Arabic, you call it both the maktab and Quttab. So he studied in the maktab system or the kuttab system. Uh, and then at the age of 10, he began taking a keen interest in hadith, and he went to... He used to go to a scholar called... Um, he used to go to a scholar called Imam Dakhili, rahmatullahi lay, who used to teach hadith to a large group of students. And this was in his hometown of Bukhara. So he says, one day I was there, and Imam Dakhili mentioned the hadith, in which he mentioned the chain of narration. And he said, Sufyan related from Abu Zubayr, from Ibrahim. So this child spoke up and said, Abu Zubayr did not hear hadith from Ibrahim. So Imam Dakhili rebuked him, scolded him, as anyone would, a child. So Imam Imam Dakhili scolded him. So Imam Bukhari insisted and said, because he was relating from memory, So he said, if you go and check your original manuscript, see what's in there. So he actually went into the house, because he was teaching outside his house. He went into the house, checked the manuscript, brought it out, and he said, child, what you say is correct. So tell me, what should it be? So Imam Dakhili sat down with pen and his own book and manuscript, and he said, what should it be? So Imam Bukhari said, Sufyan related from not Abu Zubayr, but Zubayr ibn Adi, who related from Ibrahim. So then Imam Dakhili corrected his book from the narration of Muhammad ibn Ismail al-Bukhari. So the students asked Imam Bukhari, how old were you then? He said eleven. When he reached the age of sixteen when he reached the age of sixteen he went to Hajj with his mother and his brother Ahmed. travelled all the way from Bukhara to Makkah. There, as I said, his mother and his brother returned to Bukhara, and he stayed in Makkah al-Mukarramah. And he began studying hadith. One of his greatest teachers was Imam Humaydi. The first hadith of Bukhari is actually from Imam Humaydi, rahmatullahi who was his teacher, and he was from Makkah al-Mukarramah. Anyway, Imam Khari rahmatullahi studied al- hadith in Makkah. He intended to travel to Yemen, but he heard that Imam Abdul Razak had passed away. He wanted to travel to Imam Abdul Razak. Many of you will have heard the name of the famous book of hadith known as Al-Musannaf, li Abdul razak huge book. And that was by the author... Imam Abdul Razak from Sana'a, Yemen, the capital of Yemen, Sana'a. He's known as Imam Abdul Razak al-Sana'ani. Imam Abdul Razak died in 210 Hijri. So Imam Bukhari was 16 years old. And he wanted to travel there immediately. He heard that Imam Abdul Razak had passed away, so he, he didn't go. And he stayed in Mecca. And then he traveled to Medina and he continued with his journey. And in his journey for studying Hadith, he traveled all over Mecca, Medina, Egypt, Asqalan in Sham, which is Ashkelon. He traveled to Dimashq, Hims, Basra, Kufa, Baghdad, Wasit, Bukhara, Samarkand, even Balkh in Afghanistan. He traveled everywhere. And Imam Bukhari lay, memorized hadith wherever he was studying. In fact, at the young age of 18, two years after he first went to Hajj, Imam Bukhari began authoring his books. So he started writing his famous work, At Tariq al Kabir. And he says, I used to write this in the masjid of Rasulullah in moonlit nights. As I was saying, as a child, he became blind. Through the prayers of his mother, Allah restored his sight. And with the glad tidings of the Prophet Ibrahim السلام, in, his dream, in, her, in, in the mother's dream. And Allah restored his sight to such sharpness that without light, in moonlight, in the masjid of Rasulullah in the courtyard, he used to write. He started writing his book, At-Tariq al-Kabir, at the age of 18. He continued authoring, writing, and this book, al tarikh al-Kabir, which he authored, or he began authoring at the age of 18. We may not think much of it, but he, some ulama, one alim, sh- told another alim, should I not show you a work of sorcery? So he said, yes. So he took out the Tariq al-Tariq al-Kabir of Imam Bukhari and he said, here, take a look at this. This is magic. It takes a scholar to recognize a scholar. So that was the work which he started authoring at the age of eighteen in the masjid of Rasulullah in moonlit nights. He continued to study, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blessed him in such a way that before long he became an authority of hadith. And he actually began teaching hadith as a teenager. For instance, some of the scholars relate that there was a famous scholar called Imam Muhammad al-Firyabi, Rahim Muhammad ibn Yusuf al-Firyabi, not Farabri al-Firyabi, someone else. Imam Muhammad ibn Yusuf al-Firyabi died in 212 Hijri, and many scholars would gather at his house. So Imam Muhari alayhi, some of the scholars say, We remember, in a huge multitude, studying hadith and listening to Bukhari reciting hadith to us and us recording the hadith at the door of Imam Firiabi's house. And Imam Firiabi died at the age of, in 212 Hijri. That means Imam Bukhari was 18 years old. At the age of 18, with very little hair on his face... Imam Bukhari was teaching hadith to thousands. And again, in those early teenage years, one of the famous scholars, Hashid ibn Ismail, who was actually a contemporary of Imam Bukhari, but who became a student, Hashid ibn Ismail says that we, we were studying hadith with scholars, and we were traveling to study hadith. And there was a whole group of us. And we used to go, listen to hadith, record, come back. They would spend hours recording hadith from their teachers. So he said, Muhammad ibn Ismail was with us. And we saw that he never, ever used to take notes. He never used to record anything. So after many days, we used to talk amongst ourselves. And after many days, we approached him and confronted him. We said to him that you come to listen to hadith with us from our teachers, but you never write anything. So he said, he, did, he remained silent. They pressed him on the matter and they bore down on him. So eventually he said to them, okay, bring me whatever you have recorded so far. So they said they collected their papers and they counted the hadith. They said there were approximately 15,000 hadith. 15,000. This was after some time. So Imam Bukhari said, Bring me what you have. And then from memory, he began reciting from the beginning. Over the space of a few gatherings, he re- related and recited all 15,000 hadith to them from memory. Hashid ibn Ismail says, to the extent that we began correcting our manuscripts from his memory. Then he said to them, do you think that I waste my time and my days? Sorry, do you think I come to visit these scholars and study study under them in futility and that I'm wasting my time and my days? So Hashid ibn Ismail says, then we realized at that age, that no one will surpass him. And it's true. Hashid ibn Ismail became one of his students, even though he was his contemporary and fellow seeker and student of hadith and knowledge. In fact, one of his own teachers, Muhammad ibn Salam al-Baykandi. Baykand is a town near Bukhara, again in modern-day Uzbekistan. So Muhammad ibn Salam al-Baykandi, who was one of his earliest teachers when he was still a child. Muhammad ibn Salam al-Baykandi used to say that every time Bukhari, even as a young teenager, would come in front of me, I would be filled with fear. I would be filled with fear. Because I feared making a mistake in front of him. And so once in front of others he said, Imam Baykandi he said to Bukhari, here take my book, his record of hadith, and he said if there are any errors in there, correct them. So someone said, how is someone of the caliber of Muhammad ibn Salam al-Baykandi telling this young lad to correct his own manuscript? So they said to him, who is this? So this is Imam Muhammad ibn Salam al-Baykandi's testimony, when Imam Bukhari was still a young lad, he said, this, this is one of whom there is no like. And that was Muhammad ibn Salam al-Baykundi, his teacher. And the same Muhammad ibn Salam al-Baykundi, Imam Sulaiman ibn Mujahid says that I visited him once, and Muhammad ibn Salam al-Baykundi said to me, that had you come a short while earlier, just a little earlier, I would have shown you a child who knows 70,000 hadith by heart. So he couldn't believe it, Imam ibn Mujahid. So he ran out looking for him. So he found Imam Bukhari. And he said, are you the one who claims that you know 70,000 hadith by heart? Imam Bukhari was still a child. He said, yes and more. Yes and more. I can relate more to you. And then he added further. He said, and not only that, but every hadith which I relate from the Sahaba and the Tabi'een with that chain of narration, there is not a single name that I do not mention from the Sahaba and the Tabi'een except that I know their dates of birth, their dates of death, and their places of residence. And it's true. Bukhari was a genius whom Allah had prepared for the preservation of the hadith of Rasulullah. Sallallahu alayhi through the dua of his mother, the piety and the purity of his father and his mother. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had chosen him. And there were testimonies from the, his own scholars. I mentioned about Imam Humaydi, Some scholars have gone to the extent of saying that Imam Humaydi, Abdullah ibn Zubayr, was one of the greatest scholars. He died in 219 Hijri. Imam Humaydi, when Imam Bukhari was only 18 and he was with Imam Bukhari, sorry he was with Imam Humaydi in Mecca. Imam Humaydi rahmatullahi alayhi, had a dispute and a difference not dispute, but a difference of opinion with another scholar of hadith so they were debating so Imam Bukhari arrived as a young man so when Imam Abdullah ibn Zubayr al-Humaydi saw him, he said to the other person, here comes someone who will judge between us. And then they both presented their case to Imam Bukhari. Imam Bukhari says, I judged in favor of Imam Abdullah ibn Zubayr al-Humaydi and indeed the truth was with him. He was judging among scholars as a teenager. He was teaching at the door of great scholars as a teenager, without much hair on his face. He was correcting his teachers at the age of 11. Please don't attempt that here. He was... His teachers were asking him to correct their manuscripts in his teenage years. That's the... Memory that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had endowed him with. In fact, it was said that he only had to read a book once. He had a photographic memory. He had to read a book once, and he memorized it instantly. Indeed, he used to hear, and he used to memorize instantly. Like that famous story of Baghdad, and I'll mention that in a moment. But Imam bukhari Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave him many scholars to study under. In fact, he studied under Imam Ahmad ibn al-Rahmatullahi alayh. And many of the famous scholars of the age, Ishaq ibn Rahway, Ali ibn al-Madini, Qutaybat ibn said This Qutaybat ibn said was actually the teacher, not just of Imam Bukhari, but Imam Bukhari, Muslim, Tirmidhi, Nasa'i, Abu Dawood, Ibn Majah. All of them relate hadith from Imam Qutaybat ibn said in their books. And not just a few, but many. Imam Tirmidhi's book is filled with ahadith from his teacher, Qutaybut ibn Sa'id. So Qutaybut ibn Sa'id, who died in 240 Hijri, 16 years before Imam Bukhari passed away. Imam Qutaybutu ibn Sa'id, he was one of the teachers of Bukhari. Ali ibn al-Madini, Ishaq ibn Rahway, Ahmad ibn Hamdan. These were giants of that age. Imam Bukhari was able to study under all of them and at a young age he was also able to teach and he began his work on the sahih of him, on, on his collection the sahih i'll speak about the actual book on another occasion but for now just to share a few thoughts about and words about imam bukhari himself how allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chose him equipped him allah endowed him with piercing intelligence supreme intellect And a prodigious memory. Like I said, he had a photographic memory. He was able to read once, hear once. And as he said as a child to Sulaiman ibn Mujahid, there is not a single name amongst the Sahaba and Tabi'een from whom I narrate, except that I also know their dates of birth, their death, dates of death, and their places of residence. In fact, it's Haq ibn Rahwayn once he was teaching hadith. And he came across a name called Ata al-Kanjarani or Kanjarani, one of the two. Kanjarani or Kanjarani. So Ishaq ibn Rahway being the Imam that he was, he didn't know what, who this Ata was. He didn't know who this Ata was. And since the place where, or the nisbet, to, who, uh, to which Atah belonged, Al-Kanjaran. Ishaq ibn Rahwe didn't know that either. So he said to Imam Bukhari, Muhammad ibn Ismail, remember he was a student. He said, Muhammad ibn Ismail, what's this Kanjaran? So without any hesitation, Bukhari, as a student, said, Kanjaran is a town in Yemen. Muawiyah sent a sah- sent a Sahabi رضي الله عنهما to Yemen. عطا, this Atah was in Kanjaran. He heard this hadith from that Sahabi رضي الله عنه. So Ishaq ibn Rahway said, كَأَنَّكَ شَهِدَّ الْقَوْمِ the, Oh young, young man, it seems as though you lived amongst them. You were a witness to them. Any name, He was a walking, talking encyclopedia at a young age. And he displayed these feats of intelligence, of memory with everyone, his teachers, fellow students. He used to hear something once, memorised it. Read something once, memorised it. He went to Samarkand. And in the city of Samarkand, there were 400 scholars of Hadith who gathered with Imam Bukhari. And for seven days, they had discussions with Imam Bukhari, for seven days. 400 scholars in the city of Samarkand, And for seven days, they continuously mixed up chains of hadith and their texts. So they would take the chain of scholars from Iraq and mix them up with chains of scholars with names from Sham and those from Egypt with the Hijaz. And those from Hijaz, from elsewhere, so they would mix up names and chains of narrations. They did that for seven days, 400 of them. And in seven days, 400 scholars collectively could not trap Imam Bukhari with a single mistake. He visited Basra in Iraq. And people had heard that Muhammad ibn Ismail al-Bukhari has arrived. So in the Jami, the main masjid of Basra, someone announced that Muhammad ibn Ismail has come to Basra. And so people gathered in the masjid. The next day, when news spread further, an announcement was, in fact, they announced that day that Muhammad ibn Ismail is here. Tomorrow he has agreed to hold a gathering of hadith at this time in this masjid. The next day, thousands arrived, thousands. The masjid was full. People were on the roofs of the masjid and nearby homes. And they requested that Imam Bukhari relate hadith. So what Imam Bukhari did, the, the narrator says that, I saw a young man arrive with a black beard and not a single white hair. He prayed salah behind the pillar then he went and sat down, and thousands had gathered. And he began his word, he began his speech with the words, O people of Basra, I am a young man, and you have requested me to relate hadith to you. So what I will do is I will relate hadith to you in a unique way, which is that I will relate a hadith to you from your scholars. And what he meant was as follows He narrated a hadith. And people were scholars of hadith, people were students of hadith. So he narrated a hadith, and then he said, O people of Basra, you all know this hadith, but you know this hadith through this scholar, through that scholar, through that scholar. But these scholars are not from Basra. What I will do is that I will relate the same hadith to you authentically from your scholars of Basra, which you do not know. Or which you don't have and it's not, this narration is not as famous. And in this way he narrated many hadith with chains of narration that passed through the scholars of Basra for the benefits of the people of Basra. That shows his genius. And he had many scholars. He himself says that I actually recorded hadith and studied under and recorded hadith from 1,080 scholars. 1,080. He went to Baghdad, and again, this is the story of his memory. Imam Bukhari, rahmatullahi, he went to Baghdad, and people gathered. <coughs> when, they, when he arrived, again, the masjid was full. The Jamia, the main masjid of Baghdad, which was at its peak. As I said, that this was the peak and the zenith of the Abbasid Empire. And you can imagine the glory and the size of the Jami' Masjid, the largest masjid of Baghdad. Baghdad was a purpose-built city. So people gathered. Imam, the masjid was full. It was overflowing. Again, people were on roofs and the entire masjid was filled with people. Scholars had prepared themselves for the arrival of Imam Bukhari and 10 scholars had got together, well, in fact, a number of scholars had got together, and they had chosen 10 hadith each. And they had given 10 hadith to each scholar. So 10 hadith for each scholar, 10 of them, 100 hadith. And which each, with each hadith, what they did is that they took the mutton, the text of the hadith, and they took the chain of narration, and they mixed them up. So they separated the chains of narration from the texts of the hadith, and they attached, they detached this chain from this hadith, and attached it to another chain, and so on. So all 100 hadith were mixed up, and they, did, they had to do this amongst 10 of them. So not one person, they had to delegate this to 10 different scholars. So when Bukhari, rahmatullahi alayhi, arrived and he sat down, the first scholar, and he said, they said, we would like to question you on hadith. So he said, Ask. The first scholar stood up. And he narrated the first hadith with the incorrect chain of narration. What happened? Imam Bukhari, Rahmatullah, he listened to it and he said, La Arifu. All he said was, I don't know it. Second hadith, La Arifu. Third hadith, La Arifu, and so on till the tenth. After the 10th hadith, that scholar sat down, the second one stood up. He started with this first hadith, the 11th, and so on. 10, 20, 30, all the way till 100. 10 scholars narrated 100 hadith with mixed up chains of narration. And all Bukhari would say was, "La arifu, la aarifu, I don't know it, I don't know it. At the very beginning, some of the, the narrators actually say that those who didn't know they were bewildered and they began muttering that is this is this the bukhari that we've heard of to every hadith he says la Arif for well, i don't know but the ulama say that the scholars were looking at each other and they had understood that bukhari knows at the end of the hundred hadith bukhari when they sat down any more no? bukhari said now you you narrated the first hadith and this is what you narrated And this is the second one that you narrated. What Bukhari did is that he narrated every single incorrect hadith, as he had heard. Then he narrated the correct version. He said, that's incorrect. This is a correct version. And he did that for all hundreds. What he did is that he narrated 100 incorrect hadith with their chains of narration. And then he narrated immediately thereafter each one's correct version. Now, to us, that's astounding. But to the scholars of hadith. That's not standing. That's why Hafiz ibn Hajar al-Isqalani, rahimahullah, who's the probably the most fam- famous commentator of Sahih al-Bukhari, was a scholar of the 9th century. He died in 852 Hijri. Now, whenever I mention dates, I only refer to the Hijri dates. Um, I'm familiar with, England, with the Gregorian or the Julian dates. So Imam ibn Hajar al-Isqalani was a scholar of the 9th century, 852 Hijri when, he's, when he passed away. His famous commentary of Hadith is Fathul bari He himself is renowned as Hafiz. He was one who knew Hadith by heart. And truly, his commentary of Bukhari is like a cross-reference book of Hadith and an encyclopedia of Hadith. Tr- truly. Some ulama have actually said that after Bukhari, no one knows what's in the Sahih of Bukhari as well as Ibn Hajar al-Asqalani. And the way he used to narrate hadith himself, and the way that he wrote his commentary was through dictation. He would sit there and dictate, sit there and dictate from memory, just as Murtada al-Zabidi would do a few centuries later. So Imam Ḥāfiẓ ibn Hajar al-Asqalani, being an imam of hadith and a man of Prodigious, a prodigious memory himself, he says, narrating the story of Imam Bukhari in, Samarqa, in, Bukha, in Baghdad, that he corrected 100 hadith. He says, "It is no surprise that Imam Bukhari was able to cite the 100 correct hadith." He said, "That's no surprise. After all, he was a hafiz of hadith. He said, what is surprising, and he said, "Wahuna يُخْضَعُ Bukhari." that here one must defer to Bukhari, is that he was able to memorize 100 incorrect hadith in an instant with their chains of narration and able to recall them without anyone being able to detect a single mistake. That was a memory that Bukhari had. He truly was astounding. And... Like I said, I've said before, if someone was to say to you, How many friends do you have? How many friends would we be able to recall instantly? At the most, a few score? How many names could we recall from our own phone book? Not numbers, just names. Bukhari says, And remember, he was dealing with. Thousands of Sahaba radiyallahu anhum, and thousands upon thousands of the students of each of the sahaba, of, of these. So he and remember Anas ibn Malik. So Bukhari says one day I recalled and I reflected on the students of Anas ibn Malik, and as I've said before, they wouldn't use the word talaba or talamiz. What word did he use? Ashab, ashab Anas ibn Malik. I reflected on the companions, meaning the students of Anas ibn Malik. فَحَضَّرَنِي فِي سَاعَةٍ So in a, in a moment, I was able to recall 300 names of the students of Anas ibn Malik. One sahabi, 300 names in an instant. Imam Muhammad ibn Yahya al was an imam of Naysabur and that whole region. Naysabur is in modern-day Iran. He was a truly great scholar, Imam Muhammad ibn Yahya al-Zuhli. And he was actually one of the teachers in the shapes of Imam Bukhari. A towering scholar. Someone says once Imam Bukhari and Imam Muhammad ibn Yahya al-Zuhli were walking together. And Imam Muhammad was asking Imam Bukhari about some of the names of the narrators in the hadith and some of the subtle defects and flaws in the chains of narration of hadith. And how was Bukhari answering? This is with Imam Muhammad bin Yahya dhuhli who was posing the questions and Bukhari was answering. The narrator says Bukhari was shooting through his answers like an arrow as though he was reciting Kulhuallahu Ahad," As though he was reciting Qul Ahad." Names, dates, names, dates that was the memory that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had endowed him with, truly. Hafiz ibn Hajar al-Isqalani, rahimahullah, he mentions a very beautiful point. He says, if I was to ever, he said, if I was to open the door of writing about the praise heaped on Imam Bukhari by later scholars, normally in Islamic hagiographies, as they are called in Islamic biographies, but others like to call them hagiographies because they are full of praise and hardly any criticism, but that's incorrect. But in any case, in Islamic books of biographies and history, normally there's lots of praise. So such and such person said about him, him. So Ibn Hajar al-Asqalani, of Ibn Hajar al-Asqalani, says that if I, if I, start, if I was to do that, and write about the praise that people have showered upon Imam Bukhari after him. He said, That is, he said, if I did that, then my papers would expire and my breath would expire, and that wouldn't end. Because that is an ocean that has no shore. That's the praise of the scholars after Bukhari. And therefore, it's pretty worthless, in comparison to the other praise that I will share with you, to mention the praise of later scholars, when we only have to look at the praise of his own teachers, his own shaykh, and what they had to say about him was truly astounding. Imam Ahmed ibn Hanbal, alayhi, the Imam of Fiqh, Sunnah and Hadith, the author of the Musnad of 27,000 Hadith approximately. Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal, he died in 241 Hijri, 15 years before Imam Bukhari rahmatullahi, he passed away. Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal said, Khurasan, that's a region where Bukhara, Samarkand, Balkh, Naisabur, and all of these areas are to be found. Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal said, Khurasan has not produced anyone like Muhammad ibn Ismail al Bukhari. That's his teach. Ishaq ibn Rahway, famous imam, his teacher, he used to say, O scholars and students of hadith, O ashab al-hadith, look at this young man and record hadith from him. Because if he was alive, even in the time of al-Hassan al-Basri, al-Hassan al-Basri was a famous tabi'i, Al-Hassan al-Basri was a famous Tabi'i, the successor to the Sahaba radiyallahu anhum. He died in 110 Hijri, the same year as Ibn Sireen. And they were both Tabi'is, meaning their teachers were the Sahaba radiyallahu anhum. In fact, Al-Hassan al-Basri was so knowledgeable and he was so eloquent, there were two extremely eloquent people at the time. Al-Hajjaj ibn Yusuf al thaqafi the tyrant, and Al-Hassan al-Basri. And it's tragic, Al-Hassan al-Basri was in hiding from Al-Hajjaj ibn Yusuf. He feared for his life and he was hiding from Al-Hajjaj ibn Yusuf. So these two were extremely eloquent, and hajjaj ibn Yusuf was so eloquent, he was a master of the Arabic language. He's the one who actually introduced the niqat, you know, the diacritical marks in the Qur'an and the dots, the vowel marks, the vowel markings, he's the one who introduced them, al-Hajjaj bin Yusuf al He was originally from Taif, from the Banu Thaqif, and he was a passionate defender of the Arabic language. And he loved Arabic scholarship and language, but he was a tyrant at the same time. And he was so eloquent, ulama said, when Hajjaj bin Yusuf would speak, impromptu, it was as though the Qur'an was being him. Indeed, his words were so powerful. They say he used to ascend the member of Kufa. And with his sword in his hand, he used to, because he was their governor, he used to address the entire congregation of the Jami'at Masjid of Kufa. And he used to scold them, rebuke them, lash them with his tongue, degrade them, denigrate them, put them down. And impromptu, And then the ulama say when he would descend from the mimbar, he says the entire congregation would disbelieve themselves and believe only him. That was the power and the magic of his speech. So one of the ulama said, who is the most eloquent? Al-Hajjaj ibn Yusuf or Al-Hassan al-Basri? Both of them were regarded as being eloquent. So the alim said Al-Hassan al-Basri. He was the most eloquent. And some of the ulama say, do you know why he was so eloquent? He was, his mother was a maid in the house of Umm al Mu'minin Ummassalama Rudiallahu Anha. One day his maid, the maid, his mother, the maid, was absent. He was a baby. He was a baby. He was weeping uncontrollably. Umm salama anha actually lifted him up and suckled him. They say his ilm, his knowledge, his piety, his wisdom and his eloquence is from the barakah of the mother of the believers. Umm al-Mu'mineen, Umm Salama anha. So al Hasan al-Basri is highly regarded. So Ishaq ibn Rahway said, O oh students and scholars of hadith, look at this young man and record hadith from him. For if he was alive, even in the time of al Hasan al-Basri, people would have been... Dependent on him for his knowledge of fiqh and hadith. That's his teacher, Ishaq ibn Rahway. Imam Ali ibn al-Madini was a tower, towering figure. Bukhari says, imagine Muhammad ibn ibn al-Salam al-Baykandi, his sheikh, his own teacher says, I used to be scared of Bukhari coming into my gathering, lest I make a mistake in front of him. And others feared as well. Imam Abdullah ibn Zubayr al-Humaydi from Makkah, when Imam Bukhari arrived at the age of 18, he said, here comes a man who will judge between us. Yet, Imam Ali ibn al-Madini, you can imagine what he must have been like. Because Imam Bukhari actually says, مستصغرت nafsi 'inda ahdin illa Ali ibn al-Madini. That I would never consider myself lowly, or I never considered myself small in front of anyone because he was very confident, except Ali ibn al-Madini. Ali ibn al-Madini was one person that Imam Bukhari, rahmatullahi, used to feel humbled by and overawed by. So when he said that to some people, remember he was his teacher, some of these people went back and told Imam Ali ibn al-Madini that this is what Imam Bukhari says about you, that he is not overwhelmed and overawed, by anyone And he does not feel small before anyone except you so that's, that's, These are immense words of praise So what did Ali ibn madini do? He said in reply He said Dah. He said leave him I.e. leave what he says about me For the truth is He has not seen anyone like himself That was Ali ibn al-Madini He said he has not seen anyone like himself His teacher, Imam Qutaybah ibn Sa'id, Imam Qutaybah used to say that, in fact, before I mention about Imam Qutaybah, because I'll leave that to later, Imam Yahya ibn Ja'far al-Baykandi, another one of his teachers, was one of the narrators of Bukhari, Imam Yahya ibn Ja'far al-Baykandi. He was his teacher. And Imam Bukhari narrates from him in his sahih. Imam Yahya ibn Ja'far al-Baykandi used to say, listen to his words, this is his teacher. If I was able to reduce my life and thereby increase the life of Bukhari, Muhammad ibn Ismail, If I was able to reduce days from my life, and years from my life, and give them to Bukhari so that he could live longer, I would do so. Because my death is the death of one man, but the death of Muhammad ibn Ismail al-Bukhari is the disappearance of knowledge. And that's his teacher. So forget what later scholars said, look at what his teacher said. Imam Qutaybut ibn Sa'id. As I said earlier, he is a teacher of Imam Bukhari, Muslim, Tirmidhi, Nasai, Abu Dawood, Ibn Majah, all six scholars, and all of them narrate hadith from Imam Qutayb ibn Sa'id in their books. And not just a few, many. Imam Qutayb ibn Sa'id, someone once approached him and asked him about Imam Bukhari. said, what do you think of Muhammad ibn Ismail al-Bukhari? So Qutayb ibn Sa'id lowered his head in silence and then raised it, to the sky, and then looked at the audience and he said, "O people, I have studied hadith, I have studied ra'i, meaning reason. نظرت في الحديث ونظرت في في الرأي وجالست الفقهاء والزهاد والعباد I have studied hadith, I have studied reason, I have sat with jurists, ascetics, and worshippers. وَمَا رَأَيْتُ مُحَمَّدٍ ibn Isma'il. And ever since I have come to my senses, meaning since childhood, I have never ever seen anyone like Muhammad ibn Ismail and Bukhari. That was Qutayb ibn Saeed. I have sat with jurists, Worshippers, ascetics, I have studied hadith, I have studied ra'i. But in my entire life, since my childhood, I have never ever seen anyone like Muhammad ibn Ismail al-Bukhari. And that was his teacher. His teacher, Qutaybat ibn said this great imam, he used to say, and I mention who he was first, lest we misunderstand. Qutaybat ibn said was a teacher of Bukhari, Muslim, Tirmidhi, Nasser, Abu Dawud ibn Majah, a great imam. All of them narrates many, many ahadith from him. Ulama used to call him Shaykh al-Islam, Rawi al-Islam, the Shaykh of Islam and the great narrator of Islam. Utaibat ibn Saeed said actually went to the extent of saying that Muhammad ibn Ismail al-Bukhari, in his piety, in his piety, he is similar to Umar ibn al-Khattab amongst the Sahaba, r.a. Not comparing him to Umar عنه, But amongst his contemporaries The position of Muhammad ibn Ismail al-Bukhari Amongst his fellow scholars And students Is like the position of Umar ibn al-Khattab عنه, Amongst the sahaba And that was Qutaybat ibn Sa'id, And there were many Imam Muslim rahmatullahi alayh, We've all heard of Imam Muslim Before I mention about Imam Muslim Let me mention about Imam Abu Bakr Ibn Khuzaymah famous imam of hadith, he has a book called Sahih ibn Khuzayma, he died in 311 Hijri, many years later, but 311 Hijri. Imam Abu Bakr ibn Khuzayma, rahmatullahi alayhi, a famous imam, his laqab, his title was Imam al ai am Abu Bakr ibn Khuzaymah. the imam of the imams, Abu Bakr. His words were, there is no one beneath the canopy of the heavens more knowledgeable of the hadith than Muhammad ibn Ismail al-Bukhari. And Imam Muslim, rahmatullahi alayhi, whose book is second only to Bukhari, and everyone knows about Imam, Bukhari, about Imam Muslim. Imam Muslim was a giant of a scholar himself. He was from Naysabur in modern-day Iran. Imam Muslim, rahmatullahi alayh visited Imam Bukhari Approached him, kissed him between his eyes on his forehead, and after kissing Imam Bukhari on his forehead, he said to him, "D'ani rijlaik, ya al al-muhaddithin wa That, grant me permission. He kissed him on his forehead and said to him, "Grant me permission, O oh, teacher of teachers, O oh, master of the scholars of hadith." And O doctor of hadith in its subtle flaws and defects, grant me permission to kiss your feet. Yes, Muslim said that to Bukhari. And he all sat before him and he said, لا يبغضك إلا حاسد وأشهد أنه ليس في الدنيا مثلك Imam Muslim said, only one who envies you will despise you and I give testimony that there is no one in the whole world like you. Bukhari indeed was Bukhari. And it takes a scholar to recognize a scholar. It takes genius to recognize talent. Mediocrity does not see beyond itself, cannot see beyond itself. So these were the scholars who saw the genius and the talent of Imam Bukhari. But before I finish, we should not go away with the impression that this is all about ilm, 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 scholarship, hadith, hadith, memory. No. Imam Bukhari was a man of sincerity, of piety, of nobility, of good character, of good conduct, of impeccable manners. And of extreme humility. Imam Bukhari was extremely humble. Very humble. A man of great piety and purity, just like his father and mother. As far as his humility is concerned... Consider all of this that people have said. His teacher, again, the one who spent many years... Sorry, his student, the one who spent many years with him. He says, one day, Imam Bukhari, rahmatullahi was engaged in building a a small fortress, a a kind of watchtower, rampart, near the borders, because there was a threat of invasion. So they used to guard that area and volunteers would go to help guard the borders. Imam Bukhari also volunteered to guard the borders. So there Imam Bukhari actually not only helped in guarding the borders, but he also helped build a kind of mini fortress or a watchtower. So Imam Bukhari was surrounded by his students and fellow and people who admired him. Imam Bukhari, rahmatullahi, what he did is that he was carrying bricks and stunts and building, helping in the construction work. So his students and his fellow, his colleagues, were all saying to him, you do not need to do this, you do not need to do this. But Imam Bukhari insisted. So his student says, I said to him, we will suffice you in doing this, you do not need to do this. Why do you do this? What were the words of Bukhari? Imam Bukhari, rahmatullahi, the man who preserved the hadith. The man whose scholars would take, whose teachers would take pride in him, the man whose memory was as I have just described, whose scholarship was as I have just described. He said, whilst carrying bricks, he said to his students, this, this is what will benefit me. This is what will benefit me. That was his humility. The same student. He says, that we would travel a lot and at night I would sleep in the same tent or house with him. And he says, many a time on our journeys, at night, he used to wake up, and I used to watch him, he used to wake up 15 to 20 times at night, take the iron, stoke the fire, take a flame, (laughs) light the candle or the lamp, take out his book of hadith. Make a mark, make a comment, close, switch off, uh, ex- uh, extinguish the lamplight, go back to sleep. Short while later, rise again, take the iron, stoke the fire, light the lantern, work on hadith. Very quickly, make a note, go back to sleep. And he says he would do that 15, 20 times, but he would never ever let me wake up and do it for him i.e., stalk the fire or light the lantern and lamp. So, when I would say to him, Why don't you wake me up? He, Imam Bukhari's words were This was a student. He said, You are a young man, your sleep is precious, and I do not wish to disrupt your sleep. Humility in the extreme. Piety. Imam Bukhari said he was an archer. One day he went, again the student relates that, he was an expert archer. In my entire life I've only seen him miss the target twice. So he says one day we were practicing archery uh, near the riverbank and there was the small wooden bridge and the wooden bridge had a pole. So Imam Bukhari, you say, Imam Bukhari shot an arrow and the arrow embedded itself in the Pole, the wooden pole of the bridge, a small wooden bridge. So Imam Bukhari told everyone, stop. Then he called this same student. He said, I want you to go and do something. The person who owned that land, he said, go to him. Give him my salaam, convey my greetings to him, and say to him that Muhammad ibn Ismail al-Bukhari seeks your forgiveness for embedding his arrow in the pole of your bridge so when the student went and said Imam Bukhari seeks your forgiveness for embedding his arrow in the pole of your bridge he said pole of the bridge he said go and tell Muhammad ibn Ismail al-Bukhari that forget the pole of the bridge my bridge and all my lands are yours So when the students went back and told him Imam Bukhari was so happy, he sat down and he narrated ahadith to the fuqara, to the poor. He narrated ahadith to them. And he gave hundreds of dirhams in the way of Allah's sadaqah, out of joy that the person had forgiven him. He says, I hope that Allah, I will stand before Allah on the day of reckoning And not a single person will be able to stand as my adversary on the day of reckoning. And I hope to stand before Allah and appear before him in such a state that no one will be able to claim of me that I have backbited them. I have never committed the sin of backbiting against anyone since I've known that it's haram or it harms people, it harms Muslims. There was a scholar... Who was blind. And he was sitting in front of Imam Bukhari. Rahmatullahi so, on one occasion, Imam Bukhari said to him, He was blind, he said, I seek that you forgive me. She so said, Imam Abu Abdullah, that was a kunya, what do you seek forgiveness for from me? She so says, One day I related a hadith, and you were so amazed and so pleased with the hadith that you began rocking your head and you motioning with your arms. And when I saw you gest- gesturing in that manner, I smiled at you. So I seek forgiveness for smiling at you. So he said, oh Abu Abdullah, all is forgiven for you. That was Imam Bukhari, rahmatullahi, his, his piety, his humility, his ibadah. Again, it wasn't just ilm, ilm, ilm. Every day he would complete one Qur'an during the day and one third of the Qur'an during the night. Some scholars say this was only in Ramadan, but according to some narrations it appears that this was throughout the year. So one entire Qur'an during the day and one third of the Qur'an at night, every single day. And he would finish his Qur'an just before iftar time, and then he would tell people that the dua of iftar is accepted. He was once praying Salah. They went to a garden. It was actually in a garden. So after Dhuhr, they went to, in a, to a garden. There they prayed Salat al Dhuhr in congregation. After Dhuhr, Imam Bukhari was standing praying in a long Nafal Salah. And then after Salah, he turned round to his students and said, Come lift my cloak. They lifted his cloak, and a hornet had bitten him seven, 16 or 17 times on his back. A hornet. So his student said to him, Allah have mercy on you. What prevented you from ending your salah early? So Imam Bukhari said, I was in the middle of a surah and I did not want to complete my raka'ah before I had completed the surah. He used to pray tahajjad that night, long hajj, long nawafil, with dilawah of the Qur'an, ibadah. He used to eat very, very little. He used to eat very little. And all the wealth he had, he gave in the way of Allah. As I told you before, his father was a trader. Meaning, I told you in the last dars, his father was a trader. He left a lot of wealth, but all of it was pure. Imam Bukhari inherited a lot of wealth from his father. But he would give a lot of it away in sadaqah. And he would do mudaraba, which is he would take on partners. He would be a sleeping partner financing the project. And the other person would take a share of the profits for doing the labor and the business. So, one partner, he he took... 25,000 dirham of Imam Bukhari. 25,000 dirhams. That's about 30,000 pounds now. O- over 30,000. 30,000 sterling. So what happened is, he wouldn't pay it back. So some of the people said to Imam Bukhari, why don't you go to the governor and seek his assistance against him so that he compels him to pay? Listen to the words of Imam Bukhari, He says, I will not go to the governor. Because if I go to him to write a writ or a letter to support me in my case against him and be able to retrieve my money, they will have hopes in me that I will support them in what they do. And therefore, and these are the words of Imam Bukhari, I will never sell my deen for my dunya. So I will not go to them for help I will never sell my deen for my dunya So then he came to an agreement With him Someone who owed him 25,000 dirham You know what the agreement was The agreement was that he will pay back 10 dirhams every month 25,000 He will pay back 10 dirhams Every month And the students say All 25,000 were lost But he didn't mean a thing to Imam Bukhari He would spend in the way of Allah He was not attached to the dunya. He inherited wealth, spent it, gave it in charity, fed people. There were karama at his hands. His student again says. when I say his students, I'm referring to Muhammad ibn Abi Hatim al-Warraq. He was one of his closest students who spent nights and days with him. So he says, one day, Imam Bukhari rahmatullahi alayh, he slaughtered a cow and fed it to the people. Over 100 people gathered. We weren't expecting that many. So we went and bought khubz meaning bread for three dirhams. That's about four pounds. How many rotis or how many bread, how much bread will come for four pounds? But he said subhanallah, we fed the people, we threw the bread on, onto the spread for everyone. All of them ate and there was still bread left. It was his sincerity, his piety. And a lot can be said about his ibadah, his sincerity, his akhlaq his conduct, his character. But we don't have much time, so I'll cut it short. Imam Bukhari, rahmatullahi, unfortunately, despite all this respect and reverence, and all that people held him in and the esteem that they held him in, the dunya is the dunya, and fitna is fitna. <coughs> and naas are nas, meaning people are people. During those days, there was a theological controversy known as the controversy of the creation of the Qur'an. And it affected everyone to the extent that the Abbasid Khalifa, the Abbasid rulers, were affected by it. And they tried to impose this theological belief and this ideology on the people, including the scholars. This is why Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal, as well as many others, were tortured and imprisoned. So during those days, this affected almost every part of society. It was everyday discussion for some people. So Imam Bukhari, his view, and I will, inshallah, uh, on, on, on another occasion, I will address this in some detail and explain some of the intricacies of this philosophical, ideological question, but um, theological question as well, but not now. But Imam alayhi, he was of the opinion that some of the other earlier scholars like Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal and Imam Muhammad ibn Yahya al his teachers, they were of the opinion that one should, n- one should just simply say that the Qur'an is the uncreated word of Allah. Bas. The Qur'an is the uncreated speech of Allah. And stop at that and not go any further. Do not delve any further in any philosophical discussion of this topic. Imam Bukhari, rahmatullahi alayhi, he, Imam Muslim and others of the younger generation, they were faced with different issues and they were of the opinion that they wouldn't go around propagating this, but when they were questioned about it, whereas Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal and Imam Muhammad ibn Yahya al zuhli the older ones, they would stop. They wouldn't discuss it any further. Imam Bukhari and others would provide an answer. And his answer was, whenever he was questioned, that is the speech of Allah created or uncreated? His answer would be that the speech of Allah is uncreated, just like all the other scholars, senior ones. But if the questioners went further and said, what about... Because what had happened in those days when the Abbasid Khalifas tried to impose this view that the Qur'an is the created speech of Allah, that was one extreme. When that fitnah was dealt with, and it was alleviated to some extent, unfortunately some people went to the other extreme. So they began saying that everything is uncreated and eternal. So much so that not only is the speech of not only is the Quran the uncreated eternal speech of Allah, but even the ink and even the paper on which the Quran is written, that ink and paper is also uncreated and eternal. So they went to the other extreme, and this these extreme views were not to be found. Well, the older scholars did not have to deal with them. Imam Bukhari and Imam Muslim and others had to deal with them. I'll address this in detail on another occasion. So, what happened is Imam Bukhari, along with others, when they were questioned, and like the older scholars, they wouldn't halt, they wouldn't stop. But if they were asked, well, the Quran is uncreated, but what about our recitation of the Quran? When we do dilawa, when we vocalize the Quran, when we give voice to the Quran, are our sounds that emanate from our mouths, are they uncreated and eternal or are they created? So the other scholars wouldn't delve into this. Imam Bukhari, if pressed, he would reply by saying that well, I'll tell you what he would say. So once when he went to Naisabur, which is in modern day Iran, this was towards the latter part of his in the latter part of his life, again everyone gathered. Imam Muhammad ibn Yahya al Zuhli, the Imam of Naysabur, his teacher, he actually announced that tomorrow Muhammad ibn Ismail al-Bukhari is coming here. Whoever wishes to go and receive him and welcome him to the city, then do so because I am going to go and welcome him into the city. People travelled out of the city to receive Imam Bukhari. Imagine, thousands came out to receive him. He arrived in Naysabur. He lectured on hadith. But before he lectured, Muhammad ibn Yahya al-Dhuhli told everyone that, look, he has an opinion, we have a different opinion. So he was of the opinion that we don't delve in this issue at all. Therefore, no one should go and ask Bukhari any question which will compel him to give an answer which will divide us. But people are people, fitna is fitna. When Imam Bukhari came, everyone was gathered, someone stood up and said, Muhammad ibn Ismail, what do you say about the Qur'an? Is it the created speech of Allah or the uncreated speech of Allah? So Imam Bukhari said, the uncreated speech of Allah. So he said, what about our words? Are they created or uncreated? So Imam Bukhari turned away. He didn't answer. The man pressed on. He didn't answer. The man asked for a third time, Imam Muhari didn't answer. When he pressed him further, he then replied by saying, Al-Qur'an wa kalam Allah makhluq. Wa al min af'alina wa af'aluna makhluqa. That the Qur'an is the uncreated speech of Allah, and our words are from our deeds, and our deeds are our own creation. That's all he said, and then the entire congregation erupted. In fury, people divided amongst themselves. Some said, look, he's saying that the Qur'an is, our words are, created. And others were saying, no, he didn't say that. People began arguing with each other. They were close to fighting in the masjid. As a result of which, responsible people drove everybody out. The masjid was emptied. Imam Bukhari had to leave. Then he was still in Naysabur, but word got to him that people are agitated and even the scholars are agitated. So Imam Bukhari had to actually flee from Sabur because he received words that made him fear for his life. (coughs) Imam Bukhari fled. A short while earlier, they had received him in their thousands. Now he had to flee the city. He was only accompanied by two students, Imam Muslim and Imam Ahmad ibn Salamah. And they both, three of them left. Imam Bukhari went from Naysabur. He travelled, which is modern-day Iran. He travelled all the way to Bukhara, his hometown and home city. When he arrived in Bukhara, Allahu Akbar, people received him. The people were glad to receive him. They received him. They honoured him. They went out to receive him in their thousands. They showered him with dinars and dirhams, with gold and silver coins. He was received as a great scholar and for who he was, when he came into Bukhara, the governor of Bukhara, Khalid ibn Yahya al-Dhuli, he wrote, he sent word to Imam Bukhari, he said, come and teach me in my palace, I want to hear hadith from you. So Imam Bukhari rahmatullahi alayhi sent back word saying, I will not disgrace knowledge, I will not degrade or disgrace knowledge by bringing knowledge to you, By carrying it to you. If you wish to listen to me. Come to my house or to my masjid. And if you do not wish to listen to me. And you do not even wish to come to me. Then and you are displeased with me. Then stop me from teaching. So that at least I have an excuse before Allah. On the day of reckoning. So the governor then also said fine. Teach my sons. Imam Bukhari said the same thing. They come to me. I won't come to them. As a result of which. The governor, he became disillusioned and displeased with Imam Bukhari. He agitated other scholars against him, the scholars of the court. He agitated them against Imam Bukhari, as a result of which Imam Bukhari had to flee the city of Bukhara, his own home city, fearing because the governor had banished him. And he had agitated the public and the scholars against him. Imam Bukhari fled from Bukhara. And he left. From Bukhara, he travelled to Samarkand. Again, in modern-day Uzbekistan. He travelled to Samarkand. As he was on his way to Samarkand, when he, a short while before he received news that the people of Samarkand were divided into two parties now. Half of them were saying, we don't want Bukhari in our city. The others were saying, we want him to come. They were fighting and squabbling. So Bukhari thought, until the matter is settled, I will not go to Samarkand. Before Samarqand, there was a village called Kartang, where his relatives lived. Imam Bukhari went to stay with his relatives. As he was there, it was a month of Ramadan. In Ramadan, he carried on with his ibadah and his worship. He was a lonely figure, Allahu Akbar. He made dua to Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. After Isha Salah, in Ramadan, one of his students says, I heard him from behind. And he was praying to Allah and his words were Allahumma qaddaqat al-ardu bima fiqbidni ilayk Thou oh Allah, the whole earth despite its vastness has become narrow and restricted for me Therefore Allah claim me unto yourself Imam Bukhari prayed for death Being who he was A lonely figure, he prayed for death And so it was a month of Ramadan And the month had not ended when Ramadan ended, the moon was sighted, the announcement was made for Eid, after Maghrib Salah, and at night, Imam Bukhari received word from Samarqand, that the people of Samarqand are calling you. They have settled their differences, and now they all wish to invite you, so come. Now, Khartung is just a few miles away from Samarkand. This actually it used to be regarded as one of the villages of Samarkand. So Imam Bukhari Rahmutullah was pleased. He got ready. He put on his khufs leather socks. He put on his robe. He wore his imamah. And along with he told his students, the few that were still with him there, he said, Come. And he walked 20 paces before he fell ill. And he could not continue any further. He began to collapse. The students caught him, he said, take me back. They took him back, they laid him down on a bed. He sweated profusely, and then at night he passed away. That was on the night of Eid. His janazah salah took place the next day after Dhuhr, and he was buried in Kardang. One of the ulama says that, he was far away, he said, I saw a dream and in that dream at night i saw a dream in which i saw rasulullah sallallahu standing with his companions so i asked him that ya rasulullah what are you doing so the prophet sallallahu said in the dream i am waiting to welcome muhammad ibn ismail al-bukhari that was a dream the author then that scholar then says that I then received the news of Imam Bukhari's death. And when I checked the time, at night, it was the same time that I had seen the dream. After he was buried, like I said, people are people. People came to his grave and they began weeping and doing tawbah, meaning not tawbah as we know it, i.e. they were seeking forgiveness of Imam Bukhari for the way they had treated him. But it was too late. Imam Bukhari, was then buried in khartang That was Imam Bukhari. He died in... Shawwal, he was born in Shawwal. Remember, I said he was born in Shawwal, Uh, 194 Hijri. He died at the age of 62 lunar years in Shawwal, on the first day of Shawwal, on the day of Eid, the night of Eid, in 256 Hijri. And he was buried in Khartan. That's a brief sketch of the life of Imam Bukhari, there is much more about him, his genius, his work, his relationship with the scholars, his travels, his piety, his sincerity, but I'll suffice with this. I pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala enable all of us to understand. I'd, I'd like to share something with you. I've been speaking about Imam Bukhari and the importance of Sanad and Hadith. And I've been mentioning Hadith, Hadith, Bukhari, chains of narration. So I'd like to narrate, this was a tradition. Ulama would narrate chains. A hadith with chains of narration. So what I'd like to do is narrate the first hadith of Sahih al-Bukhari to all of you with a complete uninterrupted chain of narration. And when I say uninterrupted, I mean from me till Imam Bukhari, rahmatullahi alayhi, till Rasulullah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And the, I have a number of chains, but the uniqueness of the chain, the chain that I am going to relate to you is that Every single scholar in this chain didn't hear just one hadith, but they heard the whole of the Sahih of Imam Bukhari, so entirely. So I studied the whole of Sahih al-Bukhari, I'll only mention it once, and for each scholar I'll mention, he from, he from, he from. But when I say he from, he from, I'm not talking about one hadith. I mean that that scholar studied the whole of Sahih al-Bukhari from his teacher and Shaykh and going back all the way to Imam Bukhari. So I studied the whole of Sahih al-Bukhari with our Shaykh Islam al-Haqq, And he studied, studied it with, and he heard the whole of Sahih al-Bukhari from his teacher, Mufti Kifayatullah, of Dilli, Hind, India. He, from his teacher, Sheikh al-Hind, Maulana Mahmood al-Hassan ibn Dhil-Fiqar al He, from his Shaykh and teacher, Maulana Qasim Muhammad bin Asad al-Nanotwi, rahimahullah. He, from his teacher, Shaykh Abdul Ghani ibn Abi Said al-Mujaddidi, rahimahullah. He, from his teacher, Shah Muhammad Ishaq ibn Muhammad Afdal al-Dihlawi, rahimahullah. He from his grandfather, Shah Abdul Aziz ad dahlawi He from his father, Shah Abdul Rahim, Shah Ahmed ibn Abdul Rahim, Waliullah ad dahlawi He from his shaykh, Imam Abu Tahir, Muhammad ibn Ibrahim, al-Kurdi al-Madani. He from his father, Imam Burhan din Ibrahim ibn Hassan, al-Kurdi al-Madani. He from his shaykh, Sheikh Imam Safiyuddin, Ahmed Ibn Muhammad Al-Qushashi. He from his Sheikh, Imam Abu Al-Mawahib, Ahmed Ibn Ali Al-Shinnawi. He from his Sheikh, Shamsuddin, Muhammad Ibn Ahmed Al-Ramli. He from his Sheikh, Imam Abu Yahya, Zakari Ibn Muhammad al Ansari. He from his Sheikh, the name which I've mentioned, Al-Imam Al-Hafidh Shihabuddin Abu al-Fadl Ahmed ibn Ali ibn Hajar al-Asqalani He from his shaykh Imam Abu Ishaq Ibrahim ibn Ahmad al-Tannukhi He from his shaykh Imam Abu al-Abbas Ahmed ibn Abi Talib al-Hajjar He from his shaykh Imam Sirajud Deen Abu Abdullah al-Husayn ibn mubarak al-Zabidi He from his shaykh Imam Abu al-Waqt Abdul Awal Ibn Isa Al-Harawi Al-Sidzi. He from his shaykh, Imam Abu al-Hasan Abdul Rahman Ibn Muhammad Al-Dawudi Al-Bushanji. He from his shaykh, Imam Abu Muhammad, Abdullah Ibn Muhammad, al hamwi Al-Saraghsi. And he from his shaykh. Imam Abu Abdullah Muhammad ibn Yusuf ibn Matar al-Farabri and he from our great Imam The Amir of Hadith Imam Abu Abdullah Muhammad ibn Ismail ibn Ibrahim ibn Mughira ibn Bardizba al-Ju'fi rahimahullah who says hadathana al-Humaydi Abdullah ibn Zubayr qala hadathana Sufyan qala hadathana Yahya ibn Sa'id al قال أخبرني محمد بن إبراهيم التيمي أنه سمع علقمة بن وقاس الليثية يقول سمعت عمر بن الخطاب رضي الله عنه على المنبر قال سمعت رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم يقول إنما الأعمال بالنيات وإنما لكل من ما نوى فمن كانت هجرته إلى دنيا يصيبها أو إلى امرأة ينكحها فهجرته إلى ما هاجر إليه ذا رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم Al-Qamad ibn Waqqa says, I heard Umar ibn al-Khattab an on the member say, I heard the messenger of Allah sallallahu say, Deeds are only by intention. And for each man is only what he has intended. So whoever, whoever's emigration and hijrah is for the world, to the world, that he seeks to acquire or to a woman that he seeks to marry, then his hijrah is to that to which he has emigrated. So that's the first hadith of Sahih al-Bukhari with a continuous uninterrupted chain from me, as I have related to you, till Imam Bukhari rahmatullahi alayh, and onwards to Rasulullah sallallahu wasallam. And as I said, every one of these scholars has studied the entire Sahih of Imam Bukhari with his teacher, not just one hadith. And I studied it, as many do, for a whole year under a Teacher, Shaykh Islam al-Haqq. So, this is the chain. Now, some people may say, I kept on mentioning Dehlawi, Dehlawi, Dehlawi. that uh, how come so many scholars are from India? Well, the ulama of Hadith, even now, and researchers actually agree that one of, if not the most complete and most authentic chain of Hadith, is through the scholars of India. And it's not surprising because if you, uh, we don't have time, so I won't go through the earlier scholars. You heard a lot of Dehlawi, Dehlawi from Delhi. But if you look at the chain backwards from Imam Bukhari, علي, they weren't from Makkah and Medina. Imam Bukhari was from Bukhara, which is in Uzbekistan. Who did he relate the hadith to, the whole of Sahih al-Bukhari? Imam Muhammad ibn Yusuf al-Farabri. He was from Farab, which is, on the border of Turkmenistan and Uzbekistan today. It's on the border. So Imam Bukhari, I'll, I'll even tell you where they studied hadith. So Imam Muhammad ibn Yusuf studied the whole of Sahih al-Bukhari three times. Once in 248 Hijri. Where? In Farab. In, on the border of modern day Uzbekistan and Turkmenistan. He studied in 248 with Imam Bukhari. He studied in 252 again with Imam Bukhari and he studied it for a third time over a period of three years in 253, 254 and 255, one year before the death of Imam Bukhari. Where did he study it? In Farab, which is near the border of Turkmenistan and Uzbekistan. Then Imam Muhammad ibn Yusuf, where did he relate and teach the whole book? Not in Mecca and Medina or Iraq or Dimash, or Messer. He taught it in Bushanj. And the one who narrated it from him, who did I say it was? Imam Abu Muhammad Abdullah. Sorry, uh, his name was Abdullah. Imam Abu Muhammad Abdullah. So Imam Abu Muhammad, Abdullah Al-Hammu'i al-Saraqsi, he studied the whole of Sahihul Bukhari from Imam Farabri in Bushanj, and I'll tell you where that is. And his students, Imam Dawoodi al-Bushanji, he was from Bushanj and he studied the whole of Sahih al-Bukhari uh, in Bushanj with his teacher. And the one he narrated it to, again the whole book, to who? Imam Abu al-Waqt Abdul Awwal, Ibn Isa, Al-Harawi. Al-Harawi because he was from Herat in Afghanistan. And he studied the whole of Sahih al-Bukhari in Bushanj. So I won't go any further. Just these five, Imam Bukhari teaching. Imam Farabri, Farabri teaching Imam Hammuyi, Hammuyi teaching Imam Dawoodi, and Dawoodi teaching Imam Sidzi al-Harawi. Just these, Imam Bukhari taught in Farab, on the border of Turkmenistan and Afghanistan. And all the others, where did they study and teach? In Bushanj. Do you know where Bushanj is? It's in Afghanistan. And it's a town, it's called Zindajan. Now that's unique, imagine this. A town called Zindajan in Afghanistan is where four generations of the greatest scholars of the narrators of Sahih al-Bukhari lived and taught. And that's where the chain goes through. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chose people from the whole ummah. Arabs, Indians, Kurds. In fact, let me tell you this. Who's the most famous student of Imam Bukhari that I've just mentioned? Imam Muhammad ibn Yusuf al-Farabri. He's the authority from Imam Bukhari. He had his own manuscript that he had heard from Imam Bukhari, that had his notes on. That manuscript found its way to a famous scholar called Imam Saghani, many years later, centuries later. Imam Saghani worked on the manuscripts of Sahih al-Bukhari And he was uniquely privileged in that he had with him, along with other manuscripts, the original manuscripts of Muhammad ibn Yusuf al-Farabri that he had heard and recorded directly from Imam Bukhari with his notes on. So Imam Saghani had that with him. And that's why many scholars were of the opinion that Imam Saghani's manuscript of Sahih al-Bukhari is the best. Why? Because he had access to the manuscript of Muhammad ibn Yusuf al-Farabri, who narrated from Imam Bukhari. So, do you know where Imam Saghani was from? Lahore, Pakistan. (laughs) In those centuries, in the earlier centuries. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chose scholars from Dilli, as in the earlier part of our narration, from Zindajan, as in the latter part of the narration, which was known as Bushinj. This is why the 20th narrator, which I narrator was who? Imam Abu'l-Hassan Abdurrahman, al-Dawudi, uh, Al-Dawudi al-Bushanji. He's from Bushanj. Bushanj today is known, small town known as Zindajan. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chose scholars from Lahore, from Delhi, from Zindajan to preserve Bukhari. One of the narrators below Imam Asili, do you know where he's from? Not from my chain, but he is one of the narrators who has preserved... He actually has a manuscript for Sahih al-Bukhari. Where Imam Asili is from? From Asil, which is on the Atlantic coast of Morocco. So Zindajan in Afghanistan, Dilli, Asil on the Atlantic coast of Morocco. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala employed everyone. Arabs, non-Arabs, Persians, Turks, Kurds, Indians... Everyone, for the khidmat of the hadith of his Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa So there is no surprise in that. I and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant the tawfiq, the love of his hadith and the love of the, the Prophet sallallahu May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala enable us to follow in the footsteps of these great scholars, not only in terms of knowledge, but especially in terms of conduct, character, manners, and piety.